invite you to turn with me in your Bible to the book of Philemon. And this week will be our shortest sermon series ever. Because the book of Philemon is the shortest of Paul's letters. And so we will tackle the entire book in one week today. So Philemon is the shortest of Paul's letters, and it's probably not the shortest that he ever wrote, but it is the shortest that is preserved for us in the Scripture. Paul communicated to those churches and those people who he partnered with in ministry through letters, and a number of them have been preserved for us, not only as a letter from Paul, but as Scripture breathed out by God. Our last time in the New Testament, we went through Romans, which is the longest of Paul's letters. It is his great theological treatise on the church and on salvation. And now we come to what is much the opposite of that. It is the shortest letter. It is one that is very practically based. It's one not addressed to a church specifically, but addressed to primarily a single person. The difficulty we find with Philemon is we don't have a lot of information. But what we do know is that Philemon is apparently a very wealthy member of the church. He is a wealthy member of the church, and Onesimus, who has um, been with Paul, who has been apparently saved under Paul's ministry, is some type of runaway slave or bondservant from Philemon's household. The appeal that Paul makes in this letter is an appeal not only to set free Onesimus as a slave, but to welcome him back as a brother, to forgive or to charge to Paul whatever debts have been made, and understand that the relationship that Paul once had with this bondservant, with this slave, has changed. It's an appeal for Philemon to show Christian love. It's an appeal for him to do that thing which should be very natural for him as a believer and to show in this situation the great love that Christ has shown for him. Paul makes this appeal to Philemon because Paul knows that Philemon is faithful. And since he knows that Philemon is faithful, he knows that he can make an appeal like the one that we see in this letter and trust that Philemon is going to respond in the way that he, Paul, is desiring. Because he knows it's the way that Christ desires for Philemon to respond. In fact, the entirety of this appeal that we're going to read in this letter is dependent upon Philemon being a true man of faith and obedient to God's Word and obedient to the Lord. 
What I wonder as we look at this letter this morning is if that can be said of us. Can the same thing be said of us? What if Paul made this appeal to you? Or even to a greater extent. The Lord this morning is making this appeal to you. The Lord is appealing to you this morning through His Word to be a person of faith. In fact, He is desiring of you to have faithful faith. The Lord desires that of each one of us this morning, that we are faithful within our faith. And so, when an appeal is made to us from God's Word and from God's people, that there would be no doubt that we would obey what God has said because we are people of faithful faith. But think about that this morning. Could that be said of you? That when the Word of God appeals to your heart to do something, to live a certain way, to act a certain way, to do a certain thing in response to God's Word, are you the type person who that appeal could be made to knowing that it was going to happen? That's who Philemon is, and that's why Paul can make this appeal. So let's look at Philemon. I want to read it for you this morning. I invite you, if you would like to, to stand with me as we read God's Word together. Philemon, there are no chapters, there are only verses, and there is but one chapter, or there is no chapter, but there are only one set of verses, and we'll read them all this morning. Beginning in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Epiphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this 
is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so do Mark and Aristocrus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You may be seated. Paul makes an appeal for a slave who has run away, has come into his care, has been saved, and is now returning with this letter. Onesimus, which means profitable, a common way in that time for slaves to be named. Not necessarily for what they were, but for what they could be. In fact, Paul plays on that throughout this entire letter. He was unprofitable for you, but now he is truly profitable, that thing that you had named him. He makes this appeal to Philemon that Philemon would release Onesimus, at least least treat him like a brother, but, but Paul's underlying hope is that ultimately Philemon would send his former bondservant back, that his bondservant could serve Paul as he is in prison. Because he has found that Onesimus has been profitable, not as a slave, but as a minister of the gospel. In fact, it's partly church legend, partly rooted in history that Onesimus eventually becomes bishop of the church at Ephesus. In fact, would have been instrumental in that position in compiling Paul's letters together. And if church tradition holds, he compiled near the end the one that was written about him. No doubt he had been set free to serve Christ. Why can Paul make this appeal? It's a a big thing to ask, and yet Paul does it boldly. He does it in love, but he does it believing that Philemon is going to listen. He knew, both through what he knew of Philemon and what he had heard about what Philemon did in his church, that Philemon was a man of faith. That he was a man of faith who sacrificed what he had so that others might hear the gospel of Christ. He helped others in his church who were in need. He used the great wealth that he had, the abundance that he had, to make sure that people in the church were taken care of and that the gospel went forth. He was faithful. He was faithful in his faith. And so what I want us to see as we go through this letter this morning 
are three patterns of those who are faithful in their faith. Three patterns of those who are faithful in their faith. The first pattern we see, we see in verses 4 through 7. So verses 1 through 3 provide us a greeting, very standard for Paul. He would greet those around. In fact, he, he gives well wishes at the end, which is common for Paul. Here at the beginning, he greets those. So he greets Philemon. He, agree, he greets Epiphia, which we can kind of take away from that as probably Philemon's wife. And then also Archippus and maybe Philemon's son, although it's not quite certain. But he greets them, verses 1 through 3. And then we pick up in verse 4 with this first pattern of someone who is faithful in their faith. And it's very simple. Pattern 1, the faithful are known as faithful. The faithful are known as faithful. That's what we see about Philemon. He says in verse 5, "...because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have." Paul was well acquainted with what Philemon did out of his faith. And so the faithful are known as faithful. They don't just live in a way where you have to guess. But Philemon was the type of person, and while he didn't do it braggingly, and while he didn't do it to just bring honor to himself, it was well known in his church that he was faithful He was known for his love. Look in verse 5. I hear of your love. A faithful person is known for their love. They're known that they love the people around them, that they love the people in their church, that they love the people in their family, that they love the people in their community. Friends, you cannot be a faithful follower of Christ and you cannot be faithful in the faith you have in Christ if you are not a person of love. There's no other way to do that. You can't be a person filled with hate and also known as a faithful follower of Christ. Some people have tried that. They have tried to distort the gospel so that they can, one, hate people, and two, try to say they love God. But friends, it does not work that way. Paul, as he is commending Philemon for what he is doing, he begins with saying, I have heard of your love. Remember, Paul is in a different city. Paul is in prison. Paul is not there. And Philemon's dedication to others in love is so well known that it has made news to Paul in prison. Friends, that's impressive love. It's impressive that God is working in his life in that way. So that's what we see in verse, verse 5. They're known as faithful, known for their love. What else? They're known for their faithfulness to the Lord and His church. Look what he says. And of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. He says, I've heard of your love. You're known for that in the church, but you're also known that you are faithful to the Lord and you're faithful to your church. Friends, you cannot say you are faithful in your faith if you are not faithful to the Lord and faithful to His church. 
We hear too often about people who decide they want to go out and live on their own in faithfulness to the Lord. But friends, it cannot be separated. We cannot say that we are faithful to the Lord and not faithful to His church. Because God has given us His church. It is flawed. It is messed up. It is full of hypocritical people. If you look to your left and you look to your right, you don't see a person that's a hypocrite. Go home and look in the mirror. Then you'll find the person that I'm talking about. See, some of you didn't get that. That's really sad. Really disappointing. We're messed up. We've been corrupted. We have our issues. We have our problems. Guess what? The Lord doesn't give you a pass to be not faithful to His church because the church is messed up. There's people every day that die and go to hell because they said, I'm not going to go to a church full of hypocrites. And yet there's hypocrites every day who die and go to heaven because they've been covered by the grace of Christ. So you can pick which one you want to be in, but there's still only two places you can end up. There's not a middle ground for people that didn't like hypocrites. But Philemon doesn't have that problem. Philemon looks at his church He knows it's flawed. He knows it has its problems. And yet he is faithful. In fact, Paul prays, we see in verse 6, Paul prays that through his faithfulness, the people in the church and Philemon himself will grow into a deeper knowledge of Christ. Friends, when you are faithful to your faith and therefore faithful to your church, you have the opportunity to grow in your faith and you have the opportunity to see other people grow deeper in their faith. There aren't people out there doing it on their own who are growing more deeply in their faith because that's not how God works. He doesn't grow us deeper in our faith while we are being disobedient to Him by neglecting the fellowship of the saints. He doesn't look at that and go, well, okay, that's all right. I'm cool with that sin, so I'm going to help you grow in your faith. No, that is a sin to be unfaithful to the church of Jesus Christ. And so you're not going to grow like that. But because Philemon is faithful, Paul's prayer is that God would grow him even deeper. Here's a man who apparently has a very deep and rich faith. And Paul's prayer is that he would grow deeper in his faithfulness to the Lord and the Lord's church. Why does this happen? Because he's known as faithful. Paul can can pray this prayer. Paul can write this letter because this man is known as faithful. Paul can appeal to him to do something great for the cause of Christ because he is faithful. He's also known as faithful through his generosity. Look in verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul says he has derived joy and comfort. Now, he's in prison. Paul says it comforts me in prison to know that you are out there being generous to believers who are hurting. Philemon, again, is no doubt a a wealthy man. He has many possessions, and he is using them for the cause of Christ. He is giving things away for the cause of Christ. But it's interesting, when he says there at the end that their hearts have been refreshed, 
He is known for his kind generosity. And that's important for us as Christians. Because there are some people in the world who are very generous. They give away a lot of money. They give away a lot of stuff. But they're not kind in their generosity. I see this with people that go and do mission work in other places, especially other countries. The pastor will come in, the preacher will come in, and they'll come in as the expert, right? So American preacher, white preacher, you're the expert. And so they walk into the third world country, and they walk in among all these preachers, many who, who have been pastoring much longer than they have, who have been more faithful than they have, who preach to more people than they have preached to, who have led more people to Christ than they have led to Christ, and they walk in as the expert. So they're being generous with their time, but they're not being kind in their generosity. We do that sometimes, right? When we help someone out, we, we help someone out financially, we help someone out through, through something, and, and we do it with kind of the arrogance that, that we have more than they do, that we know better than they know, that we, we can do more things than they can do. But, but apparently that was not the case with Philemon because Paul had heard that as he helped out other people, as he was generous toward other people, it didn't bring their heart low to know that they didn't have food or they didn't have money and someone was having to help them. Somehow it refreshed their heart. He gave these things away. He helped other people. He was faithful toward Christ and his generosity. And he did so in a kind manner. Friends, we need to take that to heart. When, when we have the ability and the opportunity to help other people, we have to do so with kindness. Not, not lording it over them, not holding it over them, not making them subject to our, our ways and, and our, our way of thinking, but rather we do it with kindness, knowing that the act that we are doing, that the generosity that we are showing is not ultimately toward that person. Our generosity, our love that we're showing them, the thing that we are giving them is ultimately a gift to Christ. And I think we would all agree that we're not going to stand before Christ arrogantly. You might stand before a poor person arrogantly. But the man who has the whole world in his hands, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who through the power of his word spoke everything that is into existence does not welcome people arrogantly. You do not stand before his throne arrogantly. And yet when you give a gift to someone, when you are generous, when you help someone out, you are bringing that thing, that gift, and laying it at his feet. And so I would encourage you to do so with kindness. So we don't miss that he was generous. That was a sign of his faith. But he did so with kindness. His gift did not burden them. His gift refreshed their heart. They did not eat that food and think how, how poor a position we are in life. But they, they would eat that food or they would take that money to buy things for their family and, and they, would, they would do so with joy that Christ had given them something. That Christ had loved them enough to give them a Philemon who would love and show them affection. So friends, if you want to be faithful in your faith, you need to be known as a person who is faithful. 
Now, the New Testament guards us against, against going out and praying in the streets so that we draw attention to ourselves, and, and fasting so that we draw attention to ourselves, and giving so that we draw attention to ourselves. We don't do those things. But friends, the people around you know, especially the people sitting in the church, they know. Your preacher knows. You know if it's true of me. Am I a faithful person? Am I faithful in my faith? Friends, that should be known. When you go to school, when you go to work, it is not a secret that you are a Christian. If it is a secret that you are a Christian, it may very well be a secret to the Lord. Now think about that. That's not how you want to step out into eternity one day. Where everyone, including the Lord, holds it as a secret that you're a Christian. Because that's not how we get welcomed home with a well-done, good, and faithful servant. Friends, we live in a wicked time. We live in a time full of evil. And the only hope that people have around us is us. It's not someone else. It's certainly not the government. It's not local officials. It's not some other church. It is you. Our speaker last week told us that, that the 107th most lost place in North Carolina is Eichard. And you say, well, that's a lot. We're there 106 places ahead of us. Yeah, but there's like 30 of those places in Charlotte. There's like 20 of them in Raleigh. The 107th most lost place is Eichard. Friends, people all around us are lost. And the only hope they have is you. The only hope they have is that you are known as faithful. And that's true of Philemon. He's known as faithful, and therefore, Paul can make this appeal that he would do the right thing with Onesimus. Pattern number one, pattern number one is that the faithful are known as faithful. Pattern number two, the faithful are motivated by love. The faithful are motivated by love. Verse 8, accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. So Paul felt like in Christ, because Paul is an apostle, he is not just some dude writing this letter. He is a man who has been called specifically by Christ for this purpose. He says, I'm bold enough to tell you to do it. Paul did that in some of his letters. He would tell these churches, this is what you do. Now, we don't like that. We don't like hearing that. That's why people don't preach some of these passages in Paul, because we're in a touchy-feely time where people get their feelings hurt. And sometimes you've got to get over that. And Paul didn't mess around when he talked to churches. He told them, this is what the Lord has said to do. Go and do it. But it's interesting. He says here, while I'm bold enough to do that in verse 8, he says, yet for love's sake... I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Paul knew that Philemon was motivated by the love that he had for Christ. And so therefore it would be okay if he appealed to Philemon in love. Some people are stubborn and hard-headed, and you have to tell them, do this. That's what we often do with our children, right? 
If you spend your entire life asking your children to do things, you'll have one of those kids that none of us really like to spend time with. Because that's not how you raise a kid. What do you do? You tell a kid. Guys on the front, how many of you have been told to do something by your parents? Jason, raise your hand. Thank you. (laughs) If you're visiting with us, he's mine. So I know he's been told. But you understand that as you get older, and, and those of you who, who are now past your, your teens and, and maybe past your 20s, you understand that there comes a point in your relationship with your parents where they stop having to tell you things. In fact, they, they stop telling you things, or at least they should stop telling you things, because you know, they, they don't have that role anymore. Your role is different. So my dad doesn't call me and tell me to do things. But my dad does often call me and appeal to me out of the love that I have for him for something. The same thing I do with him. I don't call and say, Dad, come here right now. Because my dad's almost 70 years old. He can do it or not do it. It's his choice. But I do call Dad and say, Dad, I need your help. Dad, Dad I'm, I'm having this problem with this thing. Or, Dad, I'm broke down beside the road, and I know you're not that far away. And, and if you just look at the truck, it'll be fixed, and it'll drive again. Well, that's what Paul does. Why? Because he knew that Philemon was motivated by love, so he could appeal to him. He could appeal to him in love. A person who is motivated by love can be appealed to by love. And so that's what he does in verses 8 through 11. He appeals to him. He says, I'm appealing to you for Onesimus. I became his father in prison. In other words, he's been saved in prison, or at least while Paul has been in prison. Formerly, when he was with him before, he was useless or unprofitable. I love Paul's play there. He's unprofitable. But now, indeed, he is profitable to you and also to me. He truly does now live up to his name because the Lord has saved him. So he appeals to him in love to do the right thing. And that's what you can do to a person who is faithful. You don't have to go to a person who is faithful and tell them to do this. Let me get real a second, as if I wasn't before. Let's hope I was before. You know, sometimes when we do things here at church, we have to beg you to do it. So the Lord should be able to appeal to you in love because you are faithful to serve him faithfully. So if you have to be begged, that's kind of... So, as Baptists, we're congregational, which is good most of the time and sometimes not. Um, if, it, if the times it's not is where I can't tell you to do things and you have to suck it up and do it or we kick you out of the church. That would be a pope and some Baptist churches. So, we don't have that, right? I'm not an apostle. I don't claim to be an apostle. I'm not a prophet, the son of a prophet, any of those things. So, we have two options. Still, we can appeal to you in love, or we can beg you and guilt you, and those are your options. So, but there really should only be one option in a church that's not a, like a hierarchical dictatorship with bishops and things like that, where, again, we make you do it, or we excommunicate you and you go to hell. I mean, this is what the Catholics do, right? You, you're excommunicated, you're going to hell. So, so those are your two options. 
Why is that a problem? I mean, it's where you've got to kind of think in your mind, why is that a problem? I'm tired, i got a lot of stuff going on. Okay, still not a valid answer. Here we see a man, and throughout Scripture we see a man who is faithful, and women also, who are faithful, and when they're appealed to in love, they do what they're appealed to do. Something to keep in mind. Philemon is appealed to in love, and what does he do? Well, verses 12 through 14, he can be appealed to in love, and then he's trusted to respond with love. And I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Wouldn't it have been easier for Paul just to have sent this letter? Right? He wants to keep Onesimus. That's what, that's what his go in go is. I need this man with me for the benefit of my ministry. So the easy thing to do would have been to say, Short letter, Philemon, I'm keeping Onesimus. I'm commanding you as an apostle to keep him. Thanks. Signed, Paul. But he gives Onesimus the letter and sends him back with the letter. All the time trusting that in the end, Onesimus is going to walk back to that prison cell and say, Paul, I am back. Philemon got the letter and he responded with love and he wrapped his arms around me and he welcomed me as a beloved brother just like you told him to, like you told him he should do. You appealed to him in love and he responded. Well, the faithful are motivated by love so you can appeal to them with love and then you can trust that they're going to respond in love. I would have been glad, he says in verse 13, to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. When someone's motivated by love, because they're faithful to Christ. You can trust that not only can you appeal to them in love, but they will respond by love. See, it gets deeper. If you, if you notice here, it gets a little, a little harder. The first one is kind of easy. Well, I can be known as faithful. But the second one, people don't have to beg you. The Lord doesn't have to beg you. To serve him. But you serve him because of what he's done. You're motivated by love. In these last couple verses, being motivated by love, 15 and 16, he says in verse 15, For perhaps, this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. As a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. The faithful are motivated by love, including the love of God's sovereignty over this situation. Paul looks at what has went on. He, he looks at the fact that, that Onesimus has got up and ran away. And he said, you know, maybe this was part of God's plan. Maybe God knew what he was doing when Onesimus ran away. Maybe, maybe when he ran off, this was so that he could be brought back to you. Remember, when he left, he was unprofitable. When he left, there was something wrong with him. He, wasn't, he didn't listen, whatever it was. But now that he's coming back, his life has been changed by Christ. He's no longer your bondservant. Now he is your brother. And Paul says, perhaps that's why he ran away in the first place. 
so that all of this would have changed in his life, so that his life would be completely different as he's coming back to you, so that your relationship with him would be different than it was before. He says maybe that's why he's gone. Friends, when we're motivated by love, because we're faithfully living out our faith, We are resting in God's plan. A friend of mine wrote a book on spiritual gifts a few years ago. And of course, when we think about spiritual gifts, we always think about we need to take an inventory. Like all of us like to sit down and take a test to find out what we're supposed to do in the church. So his whole book, like this massive book, his entire dissertation, could be summed up in this. Just do it. Just serve. Well, I don't know what I'm good at, preacher. What do you, just do something. If you're not good at it, eventually you can do something else. Or sometimes you do something you're not good at until you get good at it. You keep working at it until you get better. We live in a time when people try something once and if they're not good at it, they just stop. You know, and they find out that the only thing they're good at is living in their parents' basements, being 35 years old and playing video games. And they're not really that good at video games, but that's the easiest possible thing to do. And so that's what they do. Well, what happened along the way? They tried things, and they weren't good at it, and nobody was there to encourage them and and push them along and let them keep trying until they got better at it. And there's some things in life you just got to be able to do to survive. Even if you're not good at it, you've got to keep doing it until you get decent enough at it that you live or else you die. And those are really, you know, the two options that you have. When it comes to what God is doing, when it comes to how He is working and what He calls us to do, sometimes you've just got to do it. You get asked to to do something. You, You get the opportunity to help someone. You have the opportunity to share your faith. Just do it. Maybe you're really terrible at it. Maybe if I was sitting there listening to you share the gospel with someone, I would pull you aside later and encourage you, don't do that again until we've talked thoroughly about what you're saying. But at least try it. It would encourage me to hear you try to tell someone about Jesus. Because that doesn't happen very often. Maybe you're not good at certain things. Just do it. Just serve God. Believe that the God of the universe is sovereign enough that he can help you in your deficiencies. If you're not good at speaking in front of people, guess what? No one is the first time they do that. People talk to me about ministry and they say, I could never get up and and preach. Listen, my third sermon, I don't remember the first two, thank goodness. My third sermon was at my home church. It was 17 minutes long. I I butchered everything, and it's a text now that I use when I do most funerals. It was like the wrong text at the wrong time in the wrong place, and yet God allowed me to do that. Now I've had the opportunity to speak in front of thousands of people in multiple states and countries, and that's not because I started out day one, sermon one, with this polished long thing. You realize for a lot of preachers, the idea of standing right here instead of standing right there with fully written out what they're doing is terrifying. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, I lost my train of thought a second ago and had to stumble around until I got back to where I was going, but I'm back there now. It happens. 
Friends, if you are motivated by love through your faithfulness, when you are called upon to serve, serve. Don't promise you're going to do it well. Don't promise you're going to have all the answers. But be faithful in that, knowing that God is sovereign over all. Onesimus ran away as a, a lost slave, unprofitable, and he comes back as Philemon's brother who God is going to use in a mighty way. Friends, that's because God knew what he was doing. Even when Onesimus didn't, even when Philemon didn't, even when Paul didn't, God knew what he was doing. So friends, being motivated by love is trusting in God's plan, trusting in his sovereignty over all. So the first pattern is that the faithful are known as faithful. The second pattern is the faithful are motivated by love. The third pattern The faithful have a heart focused on ministry. The faithful have a heart focused on ministry. Verse 17 picks up. Paul says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. The focus for Philemon is ministry. Now think about this. We have no evidence that Philemon is a pastor We're not told that Philemon is one of the elders in his church, although he may have been an elder. He seems a good candidate to be an elder in his church, but we don't have evidence that he is one of the elders in his church. We don't have evidence that he's one of the deacons in his church. Again, he sounds like a great deacon candidate to me, but we don't know that he was a deacon there. But what we do know is that he's concerned about the ministry of the church. Because he is faithful, he is concerned about the ministry of the church. He is not a consumer, okay? Now, what does that mean? A consumer means he just comes and he receives from the church. He comes in and he takes stuff. You know, he gets services, he gets whatever you would think of with a consumer. That's not Philemon, all right? Philemon is a producer in the church, So he's doing stuff. He's making stuff happen. He's contributing to the work of the church. How do we know that? Because Paul says, if you consider me your partner in what? In ministry. Most likely Philemon was helping to fund Paul's ministry. Because that's where his heart was. His heart was doing ministry. So, a faithful person has a heart for ministry. What do they do? Well, they partner with other people for ministry. In fact, he says, if if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. In other words, Paul has an account with Philemon. A ministry account. They, They built this partnership. Then Paul picks up the pen and he writes with his own hand. Remember, Paul's letters were dictated for the most part. But often, at some point in Paul's letter, Paul would pick up the pen himself. And he would write a little note. And he says, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it. He's so confident in Onesimus' usefulness for ministry and his profitability for ministry. He says, if he owes you anything, if, if him leaving has cost anything, if it's cost labor time, if it's cost finances, whatever it is, I will repay it. Verse 20, he uses kind of a play on words. Yes, brother, I want some benefit or profit. Not profit like financial, not like profit like speaking the, the word of God. From you, Lord, or from you in the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. In other words, what I really want 
using this kind of play on words, is I want Onesimus to come back to me. And I want him to join in on my ministry. And by him joining in on my ministry, he becomes an extension of Philemon's ministry. Friends, that's one of the wonderful things I like here, and there's probably a ton more stories than I even know. But I think about the fact that this morning, men like Marty Jackman, Casey Evans, or Cody Evans, rather. I don't know if Casey's preaching this morning or not. His parents don't know because they don't tell him anything, which they're very clear with me about. But I know that Cody Evans is preaching this morning at a little church that's called him as their pastor north of Wake Forest. That Marty's preaching at Bayleaf this morning to the hundreds and hundreds that gather there. That there are pastors who are preaching in El Salvador this morning who we've got to invest just a little piece in. Do you realize that's an extension of our ministry? To think that in, in at least three languages this morning, maybe four considering they speak so many in Thailand, that there are people who, there's a piece, not we can't take credit for, for all of it or even most of it, but there's a little piece of that ministry that's happening this morning that's ours. Friends, that's a beautiful thing. I saw uh, a graphic over the last week after Billy Graham passed away of, of kind of the, the preaching tree that he came from. And so the pastor that led him to Christ and the pastor that led him to Christ, and it went way back in the 1800s to this obscure pastor nobody had ever heard of. But through his preaching, this man was saved, and 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 then Billy Graham was saved. And 250 million people heard him preach the gospel live in person, not to mention the millions and probably billions more who heard it on television and the radio. Why does that happen? And why is it relevant to this? Because it happened because someone partnered in ministry. It happened because someone was concerned about the ministry that was taking place and they invested their time in it and they invested their money in it. They invested their resources in it. They gave of their life for it and lives were changed because of it. And that's what Paul saw this appeal as is a partnership in ministry. Friends, if you are faithful in your faith, one of the patterns of your life is that you will have a heart focused on ministry. If you do not, I don't know how you say that you're being faithful to Christ. Because faithfulness to Christ is a calling to go into the world and make disciples. To teach them all that Christ has commanded. To baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, knowing that Christ is with us even until the end of the age. That's the calling on not just some random people, not just on pastors or deacons or Sunday school leaders or kids ministry leaders. That is the call on everyone who is faithful in their faith. Paul knew that Philemon loved ministry, that he was engaged in ministry, that he partnered with others because he had a heart for ministry. And then he also had a heart to obey what Christ had commanded. Look at this in verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. He knew that Philemon had 
been called by God to follow Christ, and therefore Philemon would partner in ministry, have a heart for ministry, and obey what Christ commanded. In fact, he says, I know that you'll do even more than I tell you to do. Can that be said about you this morning? In your heart focused on ministry, that you have a heart to obey what God has called you to do? Friends, God has not called you to simply have a moral life. So many people who occupy seats in churches believe that we are called just to have a moral life, to be good people and do good things. And yet Christ's commands are active. His command to love. His command to love Him first and to love others second. His command to go into the world and take His gospel message. Friends, those are commands on your life. Not just the person next to you, not just the person standing behind this pulpit. Those commands are on your life. And a heart for ministry is a desire to listen to those commands. To obey what God has told us to do. So I wonder this morning, does this pattern, these three patterns that we see here, do they reflect your life? Does the pattern of your life reflect being faithful to your faith? Does the pattern of your life motivate you by love? Do you have a heart that is focused on ministry? So often we have decided that that ministry is for professionals that we hire and pay a salary. We even call them ministers and think that's what they are. Friends, we call people that we hire and pay a salary at this church a pastor. That is an office in the church. The office of minister is occupied by everyone who has been saved. Everyone. You can make a business card if you want. You are a minister at First Baptist Eichert. That would be really confusing and expensive, but you could do that. Because that's what you are. You are a minister at our church. Do you embrace that? If these things are not true about your life, why is that? you don't care that's a huge problem i'll not lie to you it's a huge problem if you don't care it's a problem that you need to deal with christ about but if your life is not marked by these patterns why is that so would would paul if he was writing a letter to you would he be able to appeal to you to do the same thing based on your character Would he be able to write this letter and appeal to you to release Onesimus, to embrace him as a brother, to send him back for ministry? When he had wronged you, when he had hurt you, when he had stolen from you, would Paul be able to write this letter and know that in your Christian character, a life that is marked by these patterns of faithfulness, knowing that you are going to respond, you're going to respond in obedience to Christ. You are going to respond in love toward Paul, toward Onesimus, toward your family, toward the church, and most ultimately toward Christ. Paul, Paul is a man who gave his life in faithful service. 
But the Lord calls us to that same faithful service. He calls us to faithfulness in our faith. Friends, if faithfulness does not mark your life, the thing to do today is to repent and to pursue a life of faithfulness. If everything gets in the way, if everything else motivates you but love and Christ and His ministry and His calling, today is the day to repent of that and pursue a life of faithfulness. Some of you this morning are here and you have no clue about any of this. You have no clue about what any of this means because you have never followed Christ to start with. You don't even know what that means. Friends, the good news of what God has done is that He has sent His Son, Christ, that we can live a faithful life, that we can be forgiven of the things that we have done wrong against God, the things that the Bible calls sin. We can be forgiven of those things and that we can follow Christ. That God sent His Son, that He would die on our behalf because our sin was separating us from God and that Christ would come and die and that through His death we would have life. And none of that may make sense to you if you've never followed Him. But I want to encourage you today, if you have never followed Him in just a moment, you're going to have the opportunity to come and let me share with you about that. But most of you would say that you follow Christ. You would say that He has saved you from your sin, that He has given you new life. Then let me encourage you with this. Are these things true about your life? Are these patterns, a pattern of faithfulness, a pattern of being motivated by love, a pattern of a heart focused on ministry, are these things true about your life? If not... Friends, today you need to do something about that. You are not where you need to be in your life. You are not where Christ wants you to be. You are hindering His church from being as effective as we could be in ministry. Friends, think about if we all saw these patterns in our life, what God would do in our church. How He would move in our church. How He would lead in our church. If these were the things that marked your life and not all the other junk that we let come in and drive us. Friends, these patterns are patterns of a man named Philemon who Paul could appeal to to be faithful because he already was. So friends, I wonder for you, could God make that appeal in your life? And if not, friends, today, today, is the day to turn from that sin and pursue a life of faithfulness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for, God, the exceptional love that you have given us in Christ. We thank you that you have been faithful to us even when we have been far from faithful to you. Lord God, I just pray that you would speak to hearts. God, our church is in desperate need of a room full of people who desire above all to be faithful to you. God, let that begin with me. God, help me to be more faithful in my faith. 
God, help me to be known as a person who is faithful. God, help me to be motivated by love. God, let me have a heart always for ministry. God, speak to others. God, help us to remove. God, remove the things that do not matter. And God, be faithful to you. God, I pray that that you would help people to respond during this time. God, whether they need to turn from, God, whatever sin it is in their life, God, whether they need to follow you for the first time, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would help, God, help people respond. God, as we pray in Christ's name, amen. I want to invite you to stand up as we sing, uh, sing this final song. I hope you'll respond to God's word. I, I believe he's clear in his word what he's called us to do. And I would just, God, pray that you would, I would pray this morning that all of you would just respond. Maybe you have never followed Christ. Today is the day to do that. Don't put that off. Friends, maybe you need to work on your faithfulness. Being faithful in that faith that you say you have. You respond to God's word this morning as we sing this song together.